The intersection of medicine with money and advertising has been a concern for some time, but it involves a lot more than the large number of prescription drug ads that you see on the evening news. Medical societies like the American Society of Hypertension and the Heart Rhythm Society have deep financial ties to big pharma and the medical device industry. And joining us now are Charlie Ornstein and Tracy Weber, ProPublica senior reporters. Their article, Financial Ties Bind Medical Societies to Drug and Device Makers, is part of ProPublica's Dollars for Doctors series. It is linked on our show page, and I'm very pleased to welcome Charlie Ornstein and Tracy Weber to our show today for our first underreported segment. Hello. Thanks. Hi. Tracy, why are medical societies a logical target for drug and medical device makers? Well, unlike individual physicians, a drug or device company can target a whole specialty. Like, say they make a device for a heart um, rhythm issue, they can give money to a society and um, influence an entire group of physicians. So, uh, Charlie, that's what we're talking about, the societies that are very specific, uh, uh, not not AMA or one of the, or some of the bigger ones? So the, the smaller subspecialties tend to be the ones that receive more money than the bigger ones like the AMA. And the reason for that is they help write the guidelines for doc- that doctors use when they pick a treatment. They lobby Congress for reimbursement issues or research funding. They're the ones who put out information for patients on their website. So they're very important and influential in their, in their little corners of medicine. And they have influence on their members and members follow their advice? particularly their guidelines as it relates to what treatments they should use. Do decisions made by medical societies have an impact on us directly when we make a visit to the doctor's office? They do, and that um, each one of these societies and each one of these subspecialties from hypertension, as you mentioned, to you know spinal surgeons, they come out with a set of guidelines, and the folks that specialize in that refer to those guidelines and which treatment method they might choose first. So they're they're setting standards. Are they the industry standards or the medical standards? They have an independent group of people that that do that, although many of the people who've been on these committees have ties to the companies as well as the society itself. And which companies are most involved in giving money to medical societies? Well, the one we looked at, the Heart Rhythm Society, which represents the electrophysiologists or doctors that treat abnormal heart rhythms, their their most money came from the makers of the implantable cardioverter defibrillators, the things that shock you back, that are implanted, not the ones you see in airports and restaurants. Uh, and they each of them were giving, you know, about 10% of the society's budget um, or revenues to the society, Medtronic, um, Boston Scientific, um, St. Jude, to name three. And is there anything wrong with that, or uh, are they encouraging doctors to uh, to give a lot more defibrillators than uh, put them into patients than uh, than the patients need. I don't think there was any sort of we couldn't establish any sort of quid pro quo for that, and I think that many physicians would argue at their say their annual conferences. There's big exhibits by these um, device companies, and they teach them about new methods, and they can look at all this. But I think a lot of folks find worrisome the amount of advertising and the amount of money that they give. But a a recent study by the Journal of uh, the American Medical Association found that more than one in five patients who received cardiac defibrillators did not meet science-based criteria for getting them. Uh, This is a major operation. It is, certainly. And each one of these devices can cost about $35,000 for for one. What we also did is look at what But we're talking about 20% of all the people who are being given them uh, when they're not medically necessary. 
Is because because the the there's so much big money involved. It's it's again like Tracy said. It's hard to say a quid pro quo. But one thing we did is looked at the material that was on the Heart Rhythm Society's website, and we wanted to see were they being scientifically you know accurate about what they were saying. So we looked at the information that they provide for patients, and as far as these defibrillators go, we saw that they weren't listing any risks at all for the defibrillators. And there are risks. For instance, it can shock you inappropriately, which can have a severe effect not only on your physical state but on your mental state. Who pays for them? Is Medicare paying for most of them? In in some cases, yes. In some cases, it depends on your age and, and if you have a private insurer. But what, you know, the, the study that you mentioned, the Department of Justice is also investigating, not directly related to that, but whether or not physicians are, you know, being unduly influenced to, you know, implant more of these devices in folks that may may or may not need them. Well, you mentioned earlier that many of these companies set up booths at conferences what are we talking about here? How large are these booths? Well, it's really from the minute you get to the conference, if you're a doctor, uh, you check into your hotel and you get a key card. And on that hotel key card, it has an ad for a company. And you get to your room and before you go to sleep, there's an ad at your bedside that's been placed by the the, uh, the cleaning people that, that advertises a drug. And when you wake up in the morning, the newspaper at your door has a sticker for a company. And you go downstairs and get on the bus to go to the exhibit hall, and there's an ad for the company on the bus. And not only that, but there's an ad on the headrests in the bus for a company. So everywhere you turn, and then the exhibits are the size of mansions. One company had an exhibit that was more than 12,000 square feet. And you note that the physicians often have to pass by these booths to reach the area where the latest research findings, uh, which is a, a big draw at these gatherings, are displayed. This sounds more like a, a casino than like a convention. It, well, you know, it's kind of like a carnival, too, because it, people are calling you in. That You know, the, the companies want you to come and see, you know, what they have in their thing. And to I, I don't know if you noted in our story, we talk about how at two of the different heart um, conventions this year, they had the ID badges had radio frequency things. So they were tracking the doctors, and the companies would pay for real-time information about who the doctor was in their exhibit, how long he spent looking at things, his personal information, and one of the doctors jokingly called it the tag and release program. So they, the uh, the uh, this was at the American College of Cardiology. These tracking devices were on the doctor's conference ID bags. Hello, I'm Doctor So and So, and then uh, and and what was the importance of the information? If a doctor stayed at one booth longer than another booth, that would be important information for everybody to know. Well. We- when we looked at uh, some articles that have been written from the industry, so for the RFID industry, what they found is that in talking to the exhibitors, they said that they can use this information to dramatically increase their sales. By just knowing how long people stay at individual places, they can target their customized marketing to them later on. Was this unique to the cardiologists, or are we finding this at other conventions as well? There's there's a radio, radiologist convention, that uh, a big one, that happens every year, and this has been there for a few years. I suspect you will see this at more and more medical conventions. And we, we, you talked about all the ads that the doctors see. Who's getting the money for the ads? Well, the society, they all go to the society? Right. So the society um, basically makes you know a lot of its money by selling these ads at their conferences and the exhibit space and such. You know, other, other of these societies... For instance, you mentioned earlier the Hypertension Society. They came up with this whole program to actually have a accreditation program for drug sales reps. And the first group of sales reps that went through there were all from their major sponsor, Daiichi. And they get a little certificate, a little stamp on their business card that says that they are certified you know, for, by 
the society, and it helps them sell drugs to the doctors. My guests are Tracy Weber and Charlie Ornstein, uh, two senior reporters at ProPublica. Their article, Financial Ties Bind Medical Societies to Drug and Device Makers, is part of ProPublica's series called Dollars for Doctors. Uh, And uh, as I said earlier, we have a link to that on our show page at WNYC.org. This is WNYC, WNYC WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Companies can also fund Wii game rooms, put their names on conference massage stations and on the shirts of the masseuses. Now, what do they get uh, for funding these Wii game rooms? They just get name recognition, so they get their name on a sign. And it was interesting. I was in San Francisco last week for the Heart Rhythm Society conference where they do not have a Wii game room. But the doctor said that uh, you know they're not going to prescribe a device because Medtronic's name is on the side of a bus or St. Jude's name is on a key card. Or they've been given a, a pen with the name of – They can't do that anymore. Uh, oh. The companies are prohibited from giving the pens. But, but feel but, a lot uh, safer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But there are some doctors that acknowledge, you know, companies would not spend this money if they didn't feel that they were getting a return for it. And so you do have to wonder. We, we reached out to the companies, and they um, really they declined to talk to us, and they declined to discuss this at all. And so you don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. What about the societies? Do they disclose uh, their, their sources of financing? So most that we looked at do not. Um, Senator, they don't? No. Mm. So this, they have they must file as a nonprofit a 990 tax return but that doesn't break down who their funders are and you can pa- tell barely anything from looking at 990 Senator Charles Grassley became interested in this issue and requested that 34 different organizations both health advocacy groups and these membership groups provide this information to him and so we were able to look at some of their, the information they gave to them. And the Heart Rhythm Society does put its information online. And you mentioned that they can't put their names on pens anymore. Uh, doesn't recent legislation require doctors to disclose anything they receive from the medical industry that's worth more than $100? So as part of the uh, health care reform bill that passed last year, there's a provision called the Physician Payment Sunshine Act, which in 2013 will require the companies, not the doctors, so both the drug companies and the device companies, to report all payments to doctors. But um, not to societies. Not to societies. And not to these health advocacy groups. And uh, is is uh, that something that uh, the uh, the people in Congress who are who are opposed to health care reform or the bill that was passed are trying to get rid of? I think that the companies themselves uh, support this to some extent because different states were requiring it, and the last thing they wanted was fifty different reporting schemes across the state. So they're in support of one sort of aggregate one. Uh, where can we find all that information? On our website at ProPublica.org, you can see our database of the eight drug companies that have made this information available. And beginning in 2013, it'll be on a federal website. And we've put up all of the information we got on these particular medical societies on our website as well. Many doctors also work as paid speakers and consultants for the medical industry. How much money can a doctor make for that kind of work? Well, in our database, we had physicians who were making, you know, hundreds of thousands a year doing speaking and consulting, but we often noted that these physicians were also working for up to a dozen other companies and that, that have not disclosed how much they're paying. So I would say a doctor could make a lot of money. Well, these uh, practices have their defenders. Don't advertisers say, 
that they're involved in some kind of educational process? Absolutely. Both the advertisers and the society say that without innovation, uh, without collaboration, there wouldn't be innovation. And further, that you know, doctors need to see the latest technologies, the latest devices, the latest drugs, and they're helping them to do that. And they also don't think that doctors can be bought for you know, the price of an exhibit. Uh, on the other hand, uh, some of these doctors can make more money as spokespersons than they can uh, in, in treating patients. That's true. And so many, we, Charlie and I both spoke with many, many physicians who receive a lot of money from the industry. And some of them are dependent upon that for funding their kids' college. It allows them to take care of their parents. It becomes a big part of their income. And you report that many of the members of the society boards have also worked as consultants and and spokespersons for industry. Isn't that a conflict of interest? Uh, well, they, they say they by disclosing it, they are able to address the conflict of interest. Uh, I think that one of the big concerns when it comes to devices is that they're used appropriately. So there's no question that, you know, a defibrillator, if you have a heart problem and it shocks you back to, you know, back to normal rhythm, that could save your life. So there are many, like, really legitimate uses. It's a matter of the patients who receive it that don't need it. And that's one. That's an area where you don't see societies focusing as much effort on. Is this unique to the United States? Well, th- there's not as much advertising other places as the United States, and, and then I, they usually have different healthcare delivery systems, right? Don't they? So it's not quite, I think, as a free for all as we have it here. But uh, in, in this case, it sounds to me like uh, something that is actually a growing industry. Well, for some societies, it is. The Heart Rhythm Society four years ago got 37.5% of its budget from the drug and device industry. Last year, it was about 50%. So it has taken on a greater share of their revenue. And, um, you know, it's it's important to bring this out in the open and to start discussions on it. And that's what we hope that our work has done. Well, I was wondering whether the phrase caveat emptor or let the buyer beware is something that we should be asking ourselves when we go to our doctor. Well, we we did, you know, one thing is that Senator Grassley was really pushing for these companies to put the information up publicly. But just because you declare that you get this much money from an industry, it doesn't necessarily make it absolve all problems. And we do feel that's something that you should talk to your doctor about and, and, and maybe look at the decisions that are made, or even with these societies, if they're taking a public position, is that position free from any kind of influence? A listener has written in, how does this, what impact does this have on medical costs? We've, we've gotten a number of emails from, from healthcare providers saying that they feel it actually has a real effect on healthcare costs. Because if you think about the cost of the device, we talked about $35,000 for a defibrillator. You know, some of these pills that are being advertised, $9 a day. That all adds up when you start to add thousands of patients. Uh, you know, if you're taking $9 a day, it's $270 a month. You're talking $3,000 a year for one patient. You start adding that up, and it, it, the numbers get big real quick. A listener, Bill, left a comment. He said, I produce business trade shows, and you're making all of this marketing sound insidious, but these are all common practices at modern professional events. Everything is available for sponsorship. That's right, but doctors are something different. These are people charged with taking care of your health, and you want to know that their decisions that they're making are are free from outside influence and based totally on the scientific evidence. So it's different than a food trade show? I would say. Indeed. Uh, What's the response been from the medical industry to the series? Very mixed. I think that you have doctors who, you know, are offended by the suggestion that – 
that money coming into either them or their societies has any impact on what they do, and they say they put the patient first. Then you see an equal number of, of healthcare professionals say, I've been watching my, my colleagues and peers, and it does affect what they do. Well, how important uh, is the consumer in all of this? We've been seeing more and more ads on television for prescription drugs, and uh, obviously they're there despite all of those those warnings that you might become suicidal and have all sorts of other problems and don't do it if you have a kidney and a liver. Uh, you you still uh, – they, they must be running them for a reason, and the reason is it has had an influence on sales. Well, they want you to go into your doctor and, and ask for that pill specifically, and sometimes physicians are unwilling to argue with their patients over – you know, something they really want. So we are also part of this whole process. We're being influenced by the advertising as well, despite the fact that we'd like to believe that only the other guy is influenced. I mean, one of the interesting observations that was raised to me was that you tend to find that the drugs that are most revolutionary, the ones that that are really groundbreaking when it comes to either cancer treatment or treatment for major diseases, they require the least advertising. It's the ones that are treating toenail fungus. It's the ones that are treating, you know, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's the ones that are treating sort of these um, less clear-cut conditions that you find a lot more advertising for. And you're saying ED is not a real problem? Uh, <laughs> my thanks to Charlie Ornstein and Tracy Weber. On that bro- note. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just hoping for a little drum thing. Uh, they were the senior reporters at ProPublica. Their article, Financial Ties Bind Medical Societies to Drug and Device Makers, is part of the Dollars for Doctors series at ProPublica. It's been a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you very much. 